we're looking in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And while you're finding that, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16 today. And there are some things that we just need to know that are myths as it relates to raising children. Now, some of you parents and parents-to-be, when I say parents, you have small kids, you may not believe this just yet. But grandparents will understand this, and I should get some amen from the grandparents. When you hear these myths, first, the first myth out there is that children are a blank slate. What that means is they, we get to start over with them, and this one's going to be just perfect. Somebody should have said, hey, said that's a myth. <laughs> yeah. It seems that scripture actually disagrees with this because in Psalm 51 and 5, David said this. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. So what I, what I want us to understand is that if we allow our children to grow up naturally, just the way they are, they won't be filled with innocence and purity. Instead, they will bring to us heartbreak and sorrow. We have to bend our children to the Lord. Myth number two is that parents need to be their child's best friend. That's a myth. That's a myth. When parents seek to be friends with their children, what that shows me is that parents themselves have not grown up. By the way, we can't treat children like little adults because they're not adults. They're children. 1 Corinthians 13 and 11 tells us when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Myth number three is that it doesn't matter the arrangement of the family as long as there's love in the home. We're living in a society that's trying to shove that down our throats. However, Genesis 2, 22 through 24 says, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And get this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to a wife. And they shall become one flesh. It does matter what the arrangement in the home looks like. Myth number four is that children should have all the advantages and opportunities that can possibly be provided. That's a myth. Because actually children need less things and fewer activities. But they need more of their parents. Ephesians 6 and 4 says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and ammunition of the Lord. Provoking them to wrath is to giving them everything in the world they want, not giving them yourself or Jesus. Because if you fail to give them Jesus, wrath will be their result. So when we, it doesn't matter the title of the book that you may be reading. It doesn't matter the author of the book that you may be reading. These are myths that say that this is best for our children. But what we find in scripture is that the best thing we can do for our children is to provide every opportunity for them to come to Jesus. In the text... 
In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, the Bible says this, And then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his hands, in his arms and laid his hands on them and he blessed them. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for children. We thank you for this day that we have today. Now, God, we pray that your presence will fill this place, that you would speak to hearts, and God, that you would move in a way that only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. What we find in this account... In Mark, you will find in two other Gospels. In the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find this account that's taking place. What we find is that in Mark's Gospel is that in verse 13, it begins with, Then they. Then they brought little children to him. This indicates that there wasn't just mothers. Or I believe Mark would have said, and the mothers. It wasn't just fathers, or Mark would have said, and the fathers. But he said, and they. So there were mothers and fathers. There were possibly couples, but there were both mothers and fathers who brought their children to Jesus. These parents did not feel that they needed to wait till these children were old enough to understand what was taking place. Instead, they brought them at the age that they were. When we look at this, what we find is that There is no indication that these children were sick or afflicted. There's no indication that these children needed medical attention. But the parents seem to understand that their children, just the way they are, were in trouble if they didn't have Jesus bless them. They needed Jesus to bless them before trouble come their way. Well, folks, we... We must come to this same realization that we need Jesus touching our children before trouble comes their way. Or a day like the day means nothing. It's only a ceremony. Too many parents will neglect a place like this. Too many parents neglect bringing their children to a place like this where we worship our Lord and Savior. Too many parents neglect to bring their children to midweek Bible study or to Sunday school. Too many parents neglect to get involved in the life of the church and there's more to the life of the church than Sunday morning sitting up sitting outside within the congregation hiding and then going home being involved in the life of the church is being here when the church is operating when the church is functional it's being a member of the church a functioning member who is taking active part in the church But, you know, what we find is, is that when we fail to be functioning members, we're failing to teach our children 
how to worship the Lord. We're failing to teach them the importance of working for the Lord. We are failing to teach them the importance of witnessing of the Lord. But when our children become sick or they become rebellious, we want to bring them to the church. Can I be real today? We want to call on others to pray for our children when nobody's going to cry over our children like parents are crying over their children. I promise you, you were good to me. You were good to my wife and my daughter when she was sick, but nobody cried over her like her mama and her daddy. And I promise you, it's with every child. Well, it's a good thing. I'm so glad we were able to pray for hours. And I pray it's a benefit. I, I, I want to share with all honesty and all, with all love and respect that it's a benefit when you can sit down with your child and pray with it. It's great to be able to call on the church. It's great to be able to call on others. Do that. But be in a place where you can call on the Lord yourself. You know what, what it teaches our children? When we're not praying with them, but we're calling someone else, it teaches them that God is a genie in some bottle that when we rub it the right way, he'll come out, do what he needs to do, and then he'll go back in and we can go on our merry way. You don't want your children thinking of God as a genie. God loved them so much that he gave them to you, and he loved you so much that he gave you to them, and he loved us all so much that he gave his son to die so we could all have eternal life. When we look in this passage, we find that these parents... These parents brought their children. Some were infants, some were toddlers, but they brought their children to Jesus for him to touch them before the world had a chance to corrupt them. That's why we have services like this. These are services here at Reedy Branch where we dedicate the children on behalf of the parents. And in doing this, the parents make a commitment to do whatever they can to ensure that their child will have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they would give every opportunity to their child for the Lord Jesus to touch their lives. And we're excited to help these parents do this today. But we must understand this commitment. And we must understand what comes with it. Saved or lost, if you're committing to make sure your child is in church, that your child gets taught the word of God by somebody, there's, a, there's something that we have to understand that goes with that commitment. And that is that we may be met with resistance. You see, these parents in the text, they were bringing their children to Christ and they were met with resistance. The disciples began to rebuke them. The word rebuke is a strong word. It means to actively hinder and to reprove. The picture here is that the disciples were actually holding back the parents. They were pushing them back away from Jesus Christ. They were trying to stop them from bringing their children to our Lord. I don't understand that because Jesus said something to them concerning this just a chapter earlier. If you'll look in each gospel. But why? The question becomes, why would they stop these children from coming to Jesus? 
Well, it's very simple. The disciples saw a problem with the children. They felt the children should not disturb the adults when they were busy at work. They felt Jesus was just too busy to, and he was working too much. And it, what he was doing and saying was too important to be interrupted by children. Now, some of us, my age and older, you really understand that. Some of us understand that that when we were growing up, when company come over, we went to the yard. As a matter of fact, company come over and they brought their children over, not because there wasn't someone to, to keep them, but because they wanted their children to play with their, whoever they were visiting children and they all could be out in the yard. And you know what? If company stayed past dark, the children might have come in the house, but they went into either a corner or they went into a room somewhere and they remained quiet so that even in that room, Room, they weren't disturbing the adults as the adults were talking. Some of you remember that, don't you? I remember it very well. Many of us understand this, and, and some there's a reason why our parents done that. Part of it was because our parents didn't want to expose us to things that they were talking about. Part of it was that parents did felt that we couldn't understand the things that they were talking about and some even felt that that we wouldn't get anything out of being in the room with our parents well today's a different day <laughs> today it's not the same children today from my generation down we're not hiding our children from our adult conversations we're letting them sit in the adult conversation you know what that should do that should guard us that should guard us from gossip that should guard us from ripping up part people in the community it certainly should guard us from saying anything negative about our fellow brothers and sisters that we come and meet to worship God with you know we're we're okay with our children sitting during in the midst of adult conversation and and because of this there we know that there's still something hindering them there's something hindering them from being touched by the gospel. So the question becomes, what is it? It's not that we're not allowing them to get to a conversation about the gospel. So what is it that's hindering them from being touched by the gospel? Perhaps the world is just keeping us busy. Perhaps, I wonder, is it possible that we are too concerned with climbing up the corporate ladder at work than teaching our children the importance of serving the Lord? Are we too involved with our extracurricular activities? Uh, are they more important to us than our children's activity at church? Are our children's involvement with worldly things more important than their involvement with church i understand it's important for families to have family time and and to go places i i enjoy taking a vacation here every now and then but but we can't allow things of this world to supersede the gospel of jesus christ being poured into our children's lives our children need to experience worship they need to be discipled they need to be involved in ministry they need to learn how to evangelize they need to experience true biblical fellowship they need to be involved in ministry 
And more than this, they need to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. They need to know that he lived the sinless life. He gave his life for the sin of the world. On the third day, he arose from the dead. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will forgive them of their sins if they'll call out to him. We can't allow the world's resistance to keep our children from being touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I could go on. I could sit here for another 30 minutes just preaching that point. But there's some other things I want us to understand. There's something we have to do. If we want our children touched by the gospel. And we know that they're going to be, there's, they're going to meet resistance. What do they, what do we do? Well, we remain resilient. It's that simple. We just remain resilient. These parents could have been discouraged in the text. They could have been angry with the disciples, hindering them from their children being touched by Jesus. They could have walked away, not wanting anything to do with Jesus and his disciples, but they didn't. They didn't. They stayed there. They remained there. They pushed against the resistance. And because of that, Jesus heard them. Jesus saw what was going on and he was displeased with the disciples. The word displeased in the context of this is to feel pain and to grieve. It's to express a deep or even violent emotion. So in other words, Jesus was sorely displeased with his disciples. If it would have been okay with God, he might have just slapped them and said, let these young'uns come on. But that... That might have been a righteous anger, but he didn't. He didn't. He just spoke to them. Jesus, Jesus told them to let the children come unto him. In chapter 18 of Mark's gospel, I mean Matthew's gospel, I'm sorry, Matthew's gospel. One chapter before this account in Matthew, what we find is that one of Jesus' disciples asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And according to Matthew, Jesus called a child to him, set the child on his lap and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus went on to state, but whoever, whoever receives a little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. This tells me that we must... <laughs> Remain resilient. We must not allow anything or anyone to get in the way of our children being led to Jesus Christ. We must, whether we are saved or not, we must allow our children and grandchildren the only, not only the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we can't be a hindrance to them receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. How is it that we hinder our children from making such an important decision? Well, one, by not exposing them 
to what it looks like to be devoted to our Lord and Savior. By not teaching them the importance of being involved in the life of the church that Jesus loved so much that he gave his life for. Children need their parents to be functional members of a church family. If it's not Reedy Branch, it should be a church family somewhere. Children need to see their parents' love of Christ lived out before them. Because when this happens, our children will see that even when we are met with resistance, our love for the Lord Our love for our Savior will lead us to be resilient. And then we may be rewarded. So as we're getting ready to come to a close, I want us to understand here, by being resilient in the face of resistance, there's a reward. There is a reward. Here in this passage, Jesus told his disciples to let the children come to him and to not forbid them. For whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. How is it that these children came to Jesus? It appears to me that these children were not intimidated by Jesus. I don't know how you would have been in that group when you had seen him perform miracle after miracle. When he had professed to be the son of the living God. When he had done things that only, only being the son of God could do. I don't know how you would have felt. I know how I'd have been. I'm intimidated now from time to time with being around certain groups of people. There there are times when I just have to say, Lord, you've got to help me with this because I just don't feel like I'm worthy to stand in the midst of this. But these children, they weren't intimidated at all by Jesus. They were willing to run right to where he was at. It seemed that it didn't matter that the children were dirty and maybe even stinking, maybe smelly because they've been running around on the outside all day. You know, I can go play around the golf and not run a bit. I can, I can ride that cart and I can get off when I get to my ball. I can hit that ball. I can get back in the cart, ride to the next hole. And, and I can play 18 holes just like that. Not run a lick, not hardly exert myself. When I get home, if I get close to my wife, she'll say, go wash, you stink. <laughs> now these children... They've been running around pretty much all day. And and here they are. They don't care that they're dirty. They don't care that they might be smelly. They're running to Jesus. They're not intimidated. You know, I, what I'll do if I know company's coming over, I'll make sure I'm dressed and presentable. I'll get upset if I've had a long morning and I'm, and I'm by the computer working or, I, or I'm praying or I'm studying and somebody comes knocking on the door and I had not showered yet. You know what I do? I'll just go to the bathroom. I'll start showering. I'll get dressed. If they're gone, when, they, when I get back, they're just gone. They're just gone. I don't want people. But these children didn't care. They, were, they weren't intimidated by Jesus. You know, it didn't matter to them all that he was bigger than they were. It didn't matter that he was, this, he was the God who created the world by his voice. They just wanted to go to where he was at. All of these, all the things Jesus had done, it didn't bother these children. 
It didn't stop them from wanting to get next to him. So he calls them to him and they come. He takes them in his arms and he touches them and he blesses the children. We're coming to a close, Brother Ronald. As they're getting ready for this invitation, I want you to hear this if you haven't heard anything else. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that there are parents and grandparents here today who may be burdened by all that life has thrown at them. You may feel that with all that you've done in this life, you're too dirty to come to Jesus. You may feel that you need to clean yourself up before you come to him. And I want to ask, how's that been working for you? I can answer it for you. You don't have to. But if you will humble yourself as a child and come to him, he will cleanse you up. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They, though they were red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. Some may feel that you're just too insignificant for this big God. The God who created the universe. The God who spoke the world into existence. Who created man out of the dust of the ground with his finger. But John 6 and 37 says, The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Some of you may just feel intimidated. But I promise you, if you come to Jesus, he will receive you just as as you are and he'll love you too much to leave you that way he'll change your life but not only will he receive you but he, the angels in heaven will rejoice over you coming to him Luke's gospel chapter 15 verse 10 the bible says likewise I say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents and listen I promise you that not only will God receive you by the authority of his word, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only that, but the angels in heaven by the authority of his word will rejoice. And I promise you as the pastor of this church will rejoice with you. Would you come today? Would you today stop resisting being touched by the gospel? Will you today be res resilient, commit to be resilient whenever the world throws obstacles at you? Because until you are resilient and stop resisting, you won't know all the rewards that God has for you. Would you today? Would you today? Say, I'm a sinner, but I'm ready to trust Jesus 
as my Savior.